Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My message this morning is going to be focused on Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses of the chapter. You've heard it read as the gospel. You've seen it depicted in the video, so I'm not going to read the text. I'd also like to mention to those of you who are diligent in filling out the back of the bulletin for the outline that there is a mistake, and if I don't call this to your attention, I won't sleep well tonight. So please turn to the back side of your worship folder. Point one, letter E. Should not have the word Jerusalem at the end, but the word Bethphage. Now I've told you and I've made my daughter quite happy. Let's open with a prayer. Christ the Alpha and Omega, Christ the firstborn from the dead. Christ, the life and resurrection, Christ, the church's glorious head. Praise and thanks and adoration and unending worship be to the Father and the Spirit and to you eternally. Amen. So here's the question for the day. How do you make a grand or impressive entrance? Now, as I was thinking ahead to today and Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That was my question. So what do you do when you have a question? You Google it, right? For those of you who know me, that's difficult to do. I go to books, and that's where I find my answers. But I did Google that question, and it seemed like I ended up going down a rabbit hole. Because that word entrance can be used in a wide variety of ways. For example, it can mean the staging or the setting used to dramatize an event. And of course, Google offers some suggestions. Involve a laser light show. Erect a huge tent with theme decorations. Adopt the red carpet approach of Hollywood, complete with a rope that controls the crowd and offers photo opportunities along the way. Now, my guess is that any one of those would make for an impressive entrance, right? Another offering on Google had to do with an individual's entrance, like the first day on a new job. And of course, Google had suggestions here too. Know the dress code. Take a deep breath to manage your nervousness. Visualize making the perfect entrance. Stand up straight. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. Walk in with a smile. Relax. Make casual eye contact. Here's a great one. Don't head straight to the bar or the buffet table. And finally, show confidence even if you have to fake it. 
That's some pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? On a day that was planned from all eternity, a day that you and I today call Palm Sunday, Jesus made his final entrance into the city of Jerusalem. Knowing what we know, would any professional consultant concur with Jesus concerning what he did that day? In our study of Matthew's gospel today, let's learn why Jesus' final steps led him to a donkey. Jesus certainly didn't follow conventional wisdom when he entered Jerusalem, but we have to admit that from a strictly human perspective, things, out, things turned out pretty well, didn't they? Matthew records this. The whole city was stirred up, asking, who is this? Now, lest we miss how many people may have been in Jerusalem that day, the Jewish historian Josephus helps us to get a feel for the size of Jerusalem. He says that during the Passover, the population in that city swelled to well over 2 million people. So, no fewer than 2 million people took note of this prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I have to believe that any advertising agency would gladly settle for market saturation levels like that. But the fact that we are here today tells us that not just those 2 million people noticed Jesus. We've noticed him too. Here we are some 2,000 years removed from the event, and we're still taking note of Jesus. We're still finding our attention riveted on those crowds that spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. How many thousands of religious pilgrims stretched up and down the main street of Jerusalem that day, many of them willing to give Jesus the shirt off their own back. How many of them were willing to take the time and expend the energy to crawl up into the trees and cut off branches that they could spread them in Jesus' way? And why? They wanted to show Jesus something. They wanted to show him their love and their devotion to him. They wanted to shout to him their songs of praise and Hosanna. Because this was the son of David who was coming to them in the name of the Lord. But there's a question that begs asking. What king, hoping to make an impressive entrance would say to his disciples something like this. Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus and his disciples had spent the last few days in Bethany, probably at the home of their good friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But now it was time for Jesus to take his final steps on his journey into Jerusalem, 
to go up and over the Temple Mount to see the panoramic view of the city and the Temple Mount in front of him and then to cry over the city that would reject him. But first, first, before any of that could take place, two of his disciples had an important side trip to make to Bethphage, a little village whose name means house of unripe figs. Now, I doubt that anyone would give a fig for that little village if it weren't for what Jesus told his disciples to do there. Go there. You'll find a mother donkey and her coal, colt. I want you to untie them, take them out of the city, and bring them to me. Just think about that. Can you imagine anyone walking onto your property in broad daylight for anyone and everyone to see, to walk up to your front door, untie your animals, and then walk off with them? That's a pretty brazen move, wouldn't you agree? But this donkey and her colt were not stolen. That's beneath Jesus. Jesus even instructed his disciples, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. These animals belonged to Jesus. Thousands of years before this event occurred, God had said, I have no need for a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. God had said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. That's why Jesus added, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And that's exactly how it happened, didn't it? The owner, if he was there, made no fuss. The owner, if he was there, freely relinquished the use of these two animals to their rightful owner. And perhaps what's even more amazing is that Jesus knew that these animals were tethered nearly two miles away in Bethphage. How did Jesus know that? Do we need any other evidence that the one riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is none other than the Son of God, who in his omniscience knows everything? Jesus' final steps led to a donkey, or in keeping with the theme of the day, more accurately, two donkeys. Jesus knew that it had to be that way to fulfill all God's promises. And so that none of us misses that, Matthew adds, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It seems to me 
that Matthew is giving us a two-for-one prophecy special by what he says. First, Isaiah, some 700 years before this event, had alluded to this when he said, Say to daughter Zion, see, your salvation comes. And then Matthew quotes another prophecy given by Zechariah more than 500 years earlier. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Two for one. Buy one, get one. Agreed? In fulfillment of prophecy, to give credibility to everything God had said in the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus chose a lowly donkey as a very clear sign to the Jewish people that he was the Messiah. He was the one who was bringing them and us salvation. Jesus' final steps led him to a donkey to fulfill every last one of God's promises. I find it interesting to note that in his book, Killing Jesus, Bill O'Reilly points to this Palm Sunday event as the straw that broke the Jewish leader's back. Up to this point, there was no clear sign to them that Jesus was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. But here it was. No longer was there any doubt in their minds that Jesus was proclaiming himself to be the one whom God had sent to redeem the Jewish people from their slavery. No longer were there questions in their minds. This settled it. And even though the Jewish people, the leaders, didn't want to have to deal with Jesus during the Passover because they had the crowds to deal with, Jesus forced the issue. This would happen on his own terms. On the day when the Passover lamb would be set aside for sacrifice, Jesus made it clear that his time had come. But there's a second reason why Jesus' final steps led to a donkey, and that's to show you and me what kind of a king he is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in human flesh. And as such, he has limitless power. But he's a king who doesn't use his power for his own advantage, as Paul said in today's lesson from Philippians. Jesus uses his power in gentle and humble ways for us, always working things for our good. There's a small detail in our text that I think most of us overlook. As the disciples brought Jesus the donkey and her colt, Matthew says, rather matter-of-factly, he sat on it. Mark and Luke add that Jesus sent his disciples to find a colt which no one has ever ridden. 
Do you know how noteworthy that is? Do you know how huge that is? People who train donkeys know that it takes years to train a donkey that somebody can ride it. Donkeys have a reputation for stubbornness, don't they? Either by sitting down and refusing to budge as we try to pull, or by kicking the living daylights out of somebody who's foolish or naive enough to stand behind and try pushing. Is that why Jesus asked for both the colt and its mother? Would having mother donkey along make that feisty colt easier to handle for the disciples, less fearful of the crowds, less afraid of their shouts? When the colt was brought to Jesus, I believe it sensed who Jesus was. It knew it had met its master and its maker. There was no reason for it to be afraid. There was no reason for it to be fearful of Jesus. The donkey seemed to perceive almost intuitively what you and I take so long to learn as the Holy Spirit patiently works on our hearts and in our minds to convince us that Jesus is just the kind of king who was promised. A gentle king. A humble and meek king. A caring and giving king. There's no reason to be afraid of this king. There's no reason to be wary of this king. We can trust him. Our body, our soul, our present, our future, our everything, because he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, this is the kind of king we have in Jesus. He's the kind of king to whom we can turn when we hear that dreaded word, cancer. Or when we're facing the challenges that come after we have had a stroke or a heart attack or some serious injury when it comes to our rehab. Jesus is the kind of king that folks like me who are aging and are struggling with the pains and illnesses and other things that come with age can go to. Jesus is the kind of king to whom young people can go when they find their path in life hard to find. Jesus is a king who cares, who listens, and who always answers. Not in just some old way, but in the best way possible. He's the Son of God. He has limitless power, but he always uses that power in ways that are gentle and humble and for our good. Above everything else, Jesus is the King who brings the only gift that lasts into eternity. For you and I know that that triumphal entry that Jesus made into Palm Sunday ended on the cross on Calvary on Good Friday. Jesus always had one thing in mind. 
and that was you and me. Our forgiveness, our peace with God, our eternity in heaven. Those things were always front and center in Jesus' mind and heart. And that's why he rode into Jerusalem, knowing that just five days later, he would hang on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Do you see now why Jesus' final steps led him to a donkey? Jesus is the kind of king broken people like you and me really need. That's why we need to join our voices with those of the first Palm Sunday and shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Amen. Now the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.